time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Do you ever get the sense that maybe you're, I don't know, emotionally constipated or, or, or maybe you have the reverse problem that you find that emotions are constantly going out, blowing out of you in the wrong places? Well, today... I have a chance to talk to Rachel Kaplan, who calls herself the psychological emotional potty trainer. She is a trained therapist who has been relentlessly studying healing since her life was devastated by a traumatic suicide of her first love at 14 years old. This lifelong personal pursuit led her on an international mission to study the methodologies of the world in the healing arts. She focused on spiritual practices of Eastern religions and the cutting-edge Western psychological approaches. She's a longtime yoga practitioner and teacher, meditation practitioner, and is also a bold seasoned psychotherapist. After 25 years of studying these technologies and successfully working with students and clients, Rachel simplified the single most important and necessary tenet of deep core psychological healing as the emotional equivalent to, well, potty training. On a new podcast, The Healing Feeling, I can't say the word, show, uh, she helps to potty train grown-ups through the foundational and educational first season so they can achieve emotional resilience, which is, she says, the new happy. Rachel also has a thriving psychotherapy practice in San Francisco, and besides catalyzing healing, she delights in music, dancing, design, fashion, and the band Radiohead. So join me now as I have a chance to interview Rachel Kaplan on emotional potty training. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for uh, taking the time to be here because I'm really excited about hearing about this, uh, the kind of the potty, tra- emotional potty training and what that looks like. Uh, but what I'm curious about first is how you got to this place, kind of the your, your background story. How did you get to the place where you're helping people with that um, emotional training? And uh, we'll talk some about what that looks like, but let's just start with your story. How did you get here? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And thanks for asking me such a good question to start with. Um, And for me, it was that my first love, my first uh, attachment in some way, even though obviously I was attached to my family, the first person that I just wanted to be as close to as possible all of the time was my first boyfriend. And just before, weeks before both of us turned 15, he committed suicide. And he found a way to include me where... um, you know, I, I was the only person who knew he was contemplating it. And I basically said, you know, I tried to stop him from committing suicide by saying that I would commit suicide too. Um, but I was, I was roped in, in a way that was just devastating Mm -hmm. and suicide generally for anyone at any age is devastating. Um, and for me, you know, I barely had, you know, I was just transitioning into the real teenage years. And so, Um, it was, I I often say it's like a death. I mean, I certainly lost my innocence then. And so by age 15 or 16, I was desperate to find relief. And this sent me on a path of studying the world's healing technologies. I mean, I started locally, but by the time I was 18, 19, I was studying Eastern religions. I spent a year in Nepal studying yoga, meditation, um, the different kind of healing modalities there. I came back by 24, was enrolled as a um, in a master's program for counseling psychology. And, you know, I've done all of the kind of different 
um, more esoteric healing practices of the West. And, you know, it's really been my life mission. And I started seeing clients as a therapist around age 26. I'm now 13 years older than that. So I've been doing this um, professionally for 13 years. And what I'm offering right now, as far as emotional potty training, um, and I, the main tenet where I have that, you know, course, let's say is in this podcast I created, which is called the Healing Feeling S-H-I-T show. Um, <laughs> the I is actually an asterisk. But, um, you know, the main way I found that was um, the last mentor and healer I worked with was someone who the best word for would be a shaman, although it's slightly different than what most people think of with that word, a Westerner and actually a white man, but that was deeply initiated into an Apache lineage. And in those, you know, four or five years that I worked with him, um, really the healing that I had been focused on my whole life crystallized. And what I was able to figure out after 25 years at this was the single most necessary tenant that any of us need really um, to heal some of these core wounds. And I'm sure we'll talk about that soon, what that means. But um, and that one of the main things that just, you know, you cannot actually feel worthy or whole if you don't have is your emotional system working the way it's designed to, which is as a mechanism to keep the body um, in homeostasis. And so I'm really focusing on that because I think it's what our culture needs. And I think I'm just the person to help reduce shame around emotional pain, to help people have a really lighthearted approach, but that's actually backed by, um, you know, 25 years of study and the most effective means that I've found. So that's how I got here. And I'm having a lot of fun with it, to be honest. <laughs> so let's back into uh, a lot of fun now, but let's back into that story a little bit. You, you talked about the loss, the suicide loss, not just loss of uh, this first kind of first love. Uh, how long did it take you before you realized that didn't have anything to do with you? I mean, you know, that is something that it's, it's a good question. I mean, it did have something to do with me. I mean, I think you're probably asking how long till I didn't feel like it was my fault. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I would say at the depth where it's actually not plaguing me as a wound, probably, um, over 20 years, wow. like I'd say probably in like 2015. And, and what I'm talking about is not, you know, intellectually, and this is why I feel so useful for the world right now, the level of healing that most therapists are doing and that our therapeutic industry does, I think, by and large, is like B minus, superficial, you know, people who are managing and hobbling around with a whole lot of pain. So at an intellectual level, you know, probably within five to seven years, most of me knew that that was not my fault. Um, you know, and one of actually episode four of my podcast, the first season is a very beautifully written, I'm told, and I feel, um, you know, very intimate memoir of that story that, that ends right after his death. There's a little bit of framing, but you know, one of the, the most, you know, miraculous things that happened when I was in his kitchen, finding out that his body was found with his parents. Like I was the person to tell the family that I think your son committed suicide. Um, but you know, there was, I sh shouted out, you know, moments after it was confirmed, I, I kind of knew at a deep level what had happened, but it was confirmed. I shouted out into this room of just utter chaos, you know, that this was my fault. And his mother, 
um, came out of an embrace with her oldest son, who was a senior in high school, and walked across the room to me and said, no, this is not your fault, Keith, which is his name. Keith did this to you. So, you know, which is just a stunning moment of sobriety. I mean, she had just heard her her youngest child committed suicide you know, two minutes prior, if not, you know, maybe 30 seconds, actually, realistically. So, you know, but to know that it wasn't my fault and to know that since I put my life on the line, hey, I'm going to do this too, if you don't, and, and we had an agreement, he was supposed to wait 12 hours. Since I put that on the line, that was a very deep message, you know, to my deepest, most fragile parts, right, that I, my life was not worthy. And so to truly overcome that and achieve a sense of worthiness and fullness and peace of who I am and peace of how that has shaped my life is a much bigger mission than I think most people would think. And, um, I've done it so thoroughly. That's how I can be such a useful guide for others. That, this is an incredible story. I mean, and it, it does take a lot for somebody else at that moment to not be, you know, lashing out at wherever there's a place though in, in within you that even though you had agreed with him that you were also going to commit suicide, knew that there was something else for you. What what was that place for you that allowed you at 14 yeah. to have that separation? You know, it's fascinating. Um, you know, this is, this is, I've done a lot of podcast interviews this week and we're going right to the heart of the most juicy scene of that, of that episode and of this story. But something happened that has never happened ever again in my life. Like right before I shouted, this is my fault. Something happened, which is I heard a voice and I, I don't hear voices. I'm very psychic. I'm intuitive. I'm in touch with myself. I wasn't then um, or not to the extent I am now. I was 14, but um, I heard a voice and I'm not sure if it was an external or internal voice. It certainly didn't sound like him, but there was just in, in, as clear as day, this message said, you will never do this to yourself and then went away. And I never heard it again. Um, but, you know, for the first couple years, I mean, first of all, I didn't want to commit suicide. I was just, that was just the best strategy I had to try to stop him. He had told me that he had a gun. And if I got involved and actually tried to tell his parents that he would do it right then. And so we had an agreement the night before that he would spend the night, just one more night in reflection. And he would confirm that he was okay in the morning and he was going to be at basketball practice. Um, and so, you know, that was the best strategy my 14 year old self could come up with, but I was actually not in, interested in dying. Now I spent the next couple years kind of making some pretty loose plans to die. Um, but I don't think I ever believed that I would, although as soon as I would get through one of the time periods where I had a plan, there was a, a deep grief. Um, the deep grief of like, no, I still have to stay here and deal with this. Um, and I did, I, I put a note in his jacket pocket at the funeral, which was the same jacket, same outfit he wore to homecoming, which was rough. Um, and it was an open casket funeral, despite the fact that he, he shot himself. But I put a note saying I'm coming, but I don't, I didn't ever believe it. And, you know, one of the things that I'm, you know, this, as, as I've made this podcast and as I've taken the offering that I've been doing, you know, as a professional for a long time, I'm taking it to the next level, right? I'm putting myself out there. The podcast has been live for five weeks, but we're at almost 20,000 downloads. You know, I'm getting messages from people I don't know, people who I don't know or sharing it with people I don't know. But one of the purposes, it's really, um, this beautiful moment in my life of feeling the fruition, the fruiting of these gifts that came from such a deep uh, exposure to an intolerable pain. And he was clearly carrying an intolerable pain. And that experience left me with a, you know, 
barely tolerable pain. Mm. And so to watch how that has led me into this path to really become an expert and a guide and, um, you know, and, and I've done it for hundreds and hundreds of clients and now I'm kind of, I've found a way to put it out to the larger public. But one of the purposes I think to do is to really, um, enter the dialogue around suicide and, you know, because it's been something that's been such a part of my journey, kind of studying what all of the great traditions say and all the psychics and the mediums and kind of just how it's not necessarily the out that the people want it to be, the, the escape from pain. And we don't have to get into that. I imagine that's a charged discussion around, you know, people's beliefs and what happens after death. But um, I really think it's so tragic and that, you know, these people who have, you know, people I, I think of Robin Williams most when I talk about this, because what a precious seemingly precious man. And I was just so impacted by him. But, you know, left and right, we see people who have climbed the pinnacle of, you know, the ladder of what success looks like in our culture and what we're all taught to want. And they're clearly in so much pain that they either take their lives or lose their lives in overdose and um, addiction. And what it shows me so clearly is that, you know, our standards for happiness are off and that, you know, if you're just trying to feel good by achieving or amassing wealth or success or validation or sex or drugs or, you know, social media, fanfare, whatever it is, it's like that isn't deep enough. And um, people can feel the most haunted by the pain they have when they when they hit all of those check marks or those boxes and they still feel this, you know, inescapable human pain. And so what I'm trying to do is, you know, saying to everyone and, and guiding the way of like, hey, let's just get really good at having our pain and healing our pain. And it's actually pretty basic. It's not easy at all, especially if you've spent anywhere between 20 to 60 years trying to avoid pain. It takes work. It takes skill. But it's totally possible to heal and to feel worthy and to feel happy no matter what life brings. And that's really what I'm after. And it's a pretty deep mission, I feel. For sure, and and heavy. Uh, so, for a second, um, you, you talk about core wounds, and I, I want to talk a little bit about that. But um, this process, I can't help but think that Keith killing himself created a core wound for you that you didn't have before, and yet he was responding to some core wound with him. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by core wound, and and maybe how yeah. that fits into that the, the two of you and what happened there? Well, um. I, I can, I mean, I think it would be most useful to step away from just the Keith and, and my, me paradigm sure. because I'm someone who's like so inherently transparent and honest that, you know, it would end up being more complex to like look into that, especially because there's that experience is still deeply shrouded in mystery as far as what was happening for him. And, um, but I would love to speak to core wounds sure. at a more basic level. And I can, I can include my own, my own core wounds because I know them <laughs> much more intimately, but Basically, what I when I'm talking about core wound, what I'm talking about is something that is a pretty natural byproduct of um, of the, the interface between biology and psychology, and you know, psychology just being a way to understand how we develop. And what I mean by that is, um, 
you know, there's a whole field of psychology right now, which, um, under the name of attachment theory. So mm -hmm. you have attachment, um, you know, theory, uh, different modalities that use the attachment between the therapist and the client. You have, um, uh, couples focus on looking at the attachment and the basic understanding for anyone who isn't familiar with it is that the most important thing that determines someone's ability to develop in a healthy way and to have the capacity to thrive in their lives and to have healthy relationships is the security of their primary relationship with most likely a parent, but a caregiver. And that, that need to have that secure relationship is so profound that it rivals needs for things like food and shelter. Like it's at that level. And um, you may be aware, I'm sure you're aware, but I don't know if your listeners are aware there was, you know, a study, um, with the Reese's or the, the yeah the Reese's monkeys mm -hmm. where uh -huh. um, monkeys were put in cages and and they often chose they were given the option of you know a wire food dispenser with um, one one option was that and one option was a uh, just a wire kind of mother-like figure that was covered in terry cloth and the monkeys often chose the terry cloth covered mother because they just needed to cuddle even though they weren't getting food so at a basic level we need this and the you know if you think about the biology is at a certain point not that far back we all lived more tribally we all lived in connection with the earth and survival was not as convenient and um you know like we didn't have Uber deliver, right? We didn't have grocery stores. And so for any being to survive, they really needed the group. And so, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be fed on your own. And so it really does at a nervous system level, not having love equates to death. Okay. So if that's, if we understand that, if that's obvious, then it would make a lot of sense that when we are little infants, we are going to subtly do whatever it takes to keep our caregivers close. And so if a parent becomes distant or um, gets overwhelmed, gets flustered, starts giving us at first subtle messages and then, you know, very quickly not so subtle messages that we shouldn't be emotional, that we shouldn't, um, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you see it a lot with gender conditioning, like boys don't do this or don't walk on your toes or don't cry. Um, you know, just all these subtle and then grotesque messages about how to be, we are going to be incredibly invested in, in meeting those messages. And so what I see happening is that all of the parts of us, whether it's our emotions, our sensitivity, our sexuality, um, that was part of my journey is I just kind of discovered sensation pretty early. And so, you know, everyone did their best, but they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so, you know, when, before I was, like a certain age, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't really have the wiring to have shame. But at a certain point, I was like, Oh, no, what was I doing? Mm. You know, so whatever, whether it was like, we're crybabies, or we're not smart, or we're, you know, we're too much, we're not enough. We all have these parts where um, they carry these messages or these experiences of somehow getting it wrong. And, um, you know, we are going to do the best job we can to deny those parts, to repress those parts when we have the ability to do that. And so what I picture in the imagery I, I use in my podcast is it's like walking these parts of you down into the basement and locking them in a closet and praying that they don't show up, that they don't show up at home. And then they don't show up in middle school and high school where all of that conditioning becomes even more complex. Right. And so these are the parts of us that, you know, when we're in that peer review at work or when we're doing a product, you know, um, development meeting or we're, we're on the third date or the fifth date or whatever it is where we're hoping these parts don't emerge. 
um, where we might fear that if this, if someone really saw this one thing about me, they might not love me. And those are what I refer to as the core wounds. There are the parts that don't just believe that they're unlovable or they're bad or that they're wrong. Cause belief kind of implies like, you know, you could change your belief. It's a thought. These, these parts actually at a bone deep level know that they are the truth. And it's a lot of work to heal them. And it's totally possible to heal them. Um, but it re requires a whole journey of learning how to, how do you uncover them? How do you know who's in there? How do you know what qualities you need to bring, bring back? And then how do you start to help these parts of us that have been the scapegoat start to reduce the backlog of pain that they've been holding for 20 years, 30 years, 60 years? Is, is there a way to put some categories on the core wounds? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what I would say at the deepest level and the most simple level is that I think the, you know, that everyone's core wound generally ends up being kind of similar and it's around, um, a few qualities. You could call it worthlessness, like, so not feeling really good enough or worthy or valuable or, um, a, a, another, like the emotional injury of that is shame, a sense of like, um, I, I miss the memo. I'm somehow not okay. Um, and then the other part of the core wound is, is around belonging. Like, do I have a place here? Am I wanted? Do I belong in this family? Do I belong on the planet? Now what I do, and I have, um, a really the kind of easiest way for anyone to get involved with my work is to go where, um, to a website, uh, which is yourcorewound.com, And I can repeat that later. But, um, what I've done is I've created a quiz where I, um, give a series of statements that you can, anyone who goes there, it takes about maybe three to five minutes to rank, um, numerically these statements and it will give you a sense of some of the kind of categorical layers you have on top of your wound. So, you know, when we, when we feel like we're not enough, we're going to do whatever we can to not feel that it's, it's incredibly painful to actually sit with the experience of worthlessness or shame it takes a lot of strength. And since our culture and our families generally, you know, we've all been kind of conditioned out of our pain. And I think right now our, our economy is literally funded, um, through this infinite web of distractions and alternatives to feeling ourselves and being present with ourselves, being present with our pain. Right. So if, if I get uncomfortable and this is why I use the metaphor of pooping, um, just a quick sidebar. It's like, if you have to poop, if you get the feeling that you have to poop, you probably know that the only way to get rid of that feeling is to go poop. And you're not going to try to buy something online or eat something or get validation as a means to get rid of the feeling. Right. Right. Hopefully. I mean, now I've, I've learned since this has been my big coming out party around poop, a lot of people are saying, well, it actually doesn't mean it's easy to poop. And that's true. A lot of us have lost the ability to cry, the ability to poop, the ability to have all kinds of different, you know, organic bodily experiences. But we, I think generally most adults know that the way to get rid of poop is pooping, but we don't know that the way to get rid of pain is feeling it mm. is to just do the same thing of how do I get to a place where I can move this pain the way we also that's what we do when we have to go to the bathroom it's like we wouldn't necessarily go on our desk it's not like the answer is wherever you are feel it sometimes you can do that sometimes you need to create a little more of a container for it but we need to move it and um so basically and what that means is that anyone who wants to heal the core wound of that deep sense of do i belong and am i okay you need to be able to move all of the layers of emotional pain that are on there. And there, there are some really clear categories and it's anger, which is the most taboo of the emotions, right? 
the black sheep of the emotional family, um, sadness or grief and fear and shame. So shame I already spoke to, but so anger, fat, anger, sadness and, and fear. And so what I'm helping people do, if you want to take this quiz is get a sense of where do you have the most, um, kind of what, what is the tone? What is the emotional tone of your, of your wound? Where should you start? Where should you start getting these potty training skills? Um, and really you're going to need all of them. <laughs> like if you take the quiz, I give you a little module for, for free that has one of my episodes kind of streamlines you or, um, you know, expedites you right to the action part of the course that I've, I've created, um, with my podcast and it will give you, um, an episode that's all about how to move that feeling. And I have a video of me talking about it and, um, there's a list of strategies to try and they're pretty fun. <laughs> Some of them are fun. Um, fun ways to actually have these feeling poops. Um, but the truth is you're going to need to be skillful and to be able to learn how to interface with all of the feelings. If you want the kind of core wound level healing where you actually feel awesome and resilient, what I'm really guiding people toward is, and what I've experienced myself is it's like that, that emotional resilience is the new happy <laughs> and that emotional resilience comes when we trust ourselves we know ourselves and we know that we can handle whatever life throws at us. And I think to have that, we need to know that we can, we can deal with hard feelings because if you're going to fall in love at this point in adulthood, you're going to know there's a good chance there's pain there, right? It's hard. Even if it goes well, even if you have a ha happy, healthy marriage for the rest of your life, there's going to be hard moments. If you're going to go for a raise, if you're going to take any risk or, you know, really be your authentic self, there will be pain involved. There's just no, I mean, we're all going to die, right? I know some people are trying to avoid that, but there's no way away from pain. It's just, that's, that's the big like wake up message y'all is we have to have pain and it's not, it's part of what makes life beautiful in some way. It's like heartache is the shadow side or the backside of love. If we, you know, if we love something, then we're going to feel pain if we lose it, but that doesn't mean it's not worth loving. And so I'm trying to help people get equipped to know how to handle all these feelings so they can really thrive in their lives by being who they're meant to be and by, you know, taking the kind of risks that will make their, you know, temporal lives fantastic. So really it's the uh, avoidance of pain that is the issue, not the fact that the pain is there. Um, right. and, and the avoidance of pain is because of these core wounds that keep us feeling worthless and not yeah. belonging. Yeah, the avoidance of pain is that we were raised by flawed humans. They did their best, most likely. Most parents did their best. Um, they were raised by humans who had even less tools. And it's hard to raise children. Um, it's like one of the probably hardest jobs that exists. And so they, in, even in just their efforts to soothe us, right, even if a parent says to the baby, oh, sh you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, you're fine, you're fine. It's like there's a subtle messaging away from pain. And when you look at a toddler, they know when they feelings that they're tantruming and it's tricky because you know you have to condition a child to not tantrum on the floor of the grocery store if you want to get home and make that child dinner so I have a lot of compassion for parents the point of this is not in any way to blame anyone but to get that you know it happens subtly and then not so subtly depending on you know the the child the family of origin for that child and then our and then our culture you know, and I have a lot to say, and I don't know if this is interesting or if we should go here, but, you know, living in the culture the way we do where there there is a way that, I mean, if 
you know, without getting political, it's like you obviously can be pretty successful in our culture without having inherent well-being. Like well-being is not necessarily what, you know, gets people rich or powerful. And, you know, there's a lot of other systems at play. And so what, it, you know, and that wasn't always the that way. I mean, in the natural world, you know, there's a certain degree of emotional resilience and physical resilience um, back when people were living, when people were hunting and growing their food or, or, you know, making their clothes. It's like, if you didn't have a lot of skill to offer, you were going to struggle and animals, you know, it's like scared animals are often dead animals. There's a whole hunt happening out there. But in the human world, we take for granted all of these things, like the, the electricity and fire that we have at our fingertips and the running water from our faucets. And we can order anything and have it immediately. And so there's a way that we're just living in a culture where there's no necessary um, wellness included. And if anything, you know, it's the opposite. There's all these strategies to avoid some of our most basic human conditions. And, you know, everyone's doing the best they can, but um, all of those things perpetuate these core wounds. So, um, yeah, it starts at home, starts through, you know, something very natural. And right now, you know, to wake up to it and to say, no, I want to heal myself and accept myself as I am. It's a real active revolution <laughs> instead of just buying all the things, the next things and the next things and the next things. It's, it's a great model for understanding kind of what, what happens when, um, I mean, we all go through, you talked about the, your background, similar to mine, um, some marriage and family therapy understanding. So every parent has a parent, <laughs> so it's, it's no good to, to blame the parent when they, they were, uh, the same thing, but this whole process of avoiding the pain by covering it up, uh, we see every day in life, um, in unsuccessful ways and, and kind of, as you said, burying that pain into the basement. Um, so part of what happens, um, is uh, we start letting those emotions come out in the wrong places. And, and my, uh, I imagine that the potty training part for you is making sure it's coming out in the right way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. At the right place. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, anger is a really good example. I said it's the, the black sheep of the emotional family. You know, if you imagine, so one of the things I do, and, and part of what you can hear when I talk about the natural world is the, um, the impact of the last healer I worked with who was so earth connected. I mean, um, you know, living primitively, like he goes for months at a time to the woods and doesn't, doesn't use, you know, anything. Um, the coolest thing I've ever done in my life is bringing forth fire with a, a set, a bow drill set that I carved myself. But anyway, um, one of the things that I do to help people understand emotional poops is I equate them to elements. Um, and you know, what, what element do you think would equate to anger? Like element I, as in I would say fire. Yeah, of course. Right. It's like, you know, we turn red, smoke comes out of our ears, you know, we want to explode and burn. Um, and what's so interesting, it's a really great way to understand the healthy way to relate to the emotion, because while fire is destructive, um, you know, if we wanted a fire in our home, we wouldn't just put it on the living room carpet. We would put it in a fireplace or we would, if we're out in the wild, we'd make a fire pit, right? We contain fire, but we still, I mean, fire is absolutely crucial to the survival of our species. Um, even if you're not living primitively, I mean, it's, you know, electricity, it's, um, the way our cars run, you know? Um, so anyway, I could go on and on about how, you know, fire and the different metaphor there, but, um, 
you know, if you imagine trying to bottle up fire or push fire down, it's like eventually the fire is going to explode. And that's what we see on our highways. We see it in, you know, we see it in these devastating hate crimes and, um, you know, mass murders. It's like, there's a way that, you know, we can't just bottle it up. And even the therapeutic industry um, is talking mostly about managing, uh, managing anger and it doesn't work. And so what I do, here's a good example of how you know my approach is different is um, what I'm doing is I'm teaching people how do you have a little private tantrum and it's always private it's never the goal is never to explode in anger or rage on someone but how do you create some containment some safety where you know you sit and I'll give a few examples the best one and I had a lot of resistance doing this um, I finally started doing it and I've since brought about two dozen clients out into the woods to try this themselves is you go if you have access to woods and dead logs or dead trees um, and an axe is to go into the woods um, with an axe and some protective gear, which I describe at length in all the things I have out there, but um, you don't know how to use an axe. Um, but you know, you chop dead wood and you sit there and you tune into what level of your anger you can access. And for a lot of people who have spent their lives trying to condition themselves out of anger, the, the only thing they really have access to is uh, anger toward themselves. And, um, you know, which can show up as depression or, um, uh, bogged downness, lack of ability to really set boundaries. They're often the subject, if that's the case, of other people's anger. They're the doormat of, for other people's anger. Some people are on the other side of the spectrum where they're explosive and, you know, it's constant mountains out of molehills and they're, you know, blowing up left and right. So either way, this is good for both ends of that spectrum, but you would go and you would just start, that person would, you know, try to connect into whatever they have access to, warm up, warm the body up, and then have a little tantrum where you're chopping wood and you're not trying to make logs. <laughs> you're trying to just chip the wood. And the home version of that is you take a blanket or a towel. You might want to moisten the end of the towel if it's not heavy enough. Make sure there's nothing breakable around you. And you swing the towel over your shoulder onto a couch or a bed and you beat the couch or the bed while muttering or groaning or, you know, verbalizing what you're mad at. Um, and you have this little explosive rant or rage and, you know, and it, it takes a lot of um, physical strength to do that. It's the most physical of all the emotions, you know, um, so it, you have to build up the strength. You have to build up the capacity to stay with the feeling. But that's one example. There are other there are tons of strategies that I offer. And the same thing with with sadness. Sadness is a totally different kind of energetic where instead of exploding, we want to implode. We need to sink in. And, you know, what happens with sadness elementally? It's like. Water drips out of our face, ideally, right? It's like, so can you get in the bathtub and be held by water? Can you make a little nest in your bed where you swaddle yourself with blankets and put on the saddest playlist you can find and, you know, put your hand on your heart and try to slow down and feel the part of you that's sad and facilitate a movement that way. So, um, yeah, each of these emotions requires a different level of engagement and, you know, we have to play around with it. But, um, you know, you can end up having a whole tool set and, you know, skill set of, you know, knowing that whatever comes my way, whatever percolates inside, whatever signal emotionally that I get, I'm going to be able to respond to, to recover my baseline. That's when we do this, we feel better. We bounce back. That's how we bounce back. So part of part of what I, I heard in that is a place to uh, indulge is not quite the right word, but to unearth uh, those emotions. So I'll actually give them some space to Absolutely. to work through them and feel them and uh, learn how to harness them. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's and I even think indulge is a good word. I mean, these parts have been the because we've been avoiding them. Part of what's tricky is if someone approaches this work the same way they might approach Amazon Prime, let's say, where they're like, I want it. Now I need, I heard this podcast, this woman sounded right, I want, I want this now. You know, it's like if you approach these parts of us, the injured parts of us that have been stashed away like that, I mean, they already don't trust us, right? In the beginning, we could point the finger at our parents that, well, my dad told me that I was too sensitive, right? But it's, but it's us, you know, and any grown up who's hearing this, it's your job. No one else can do this for you the same way no one else can poop your food out for you. You have to establish this relationship. And so when you have to be really caring and gentle with these parts, we can't just suddenly exploit them and demand them to perform. And so it's really about <clears throat> how do you establish a caring relationship where you move them from, you know, the problem, quote unquote, in your mind of like, if anyone's going to leave me, it's going to be because of this part of me. You move them from that position into the VIP where you're like, you know, what does this part of me need? What does it want to eat? What is it like? Who in my life does it like? You know, who does it not like? What what activities really make it feel bad? You start to connect and check in with these parts. And then these emotional release sessions are really about caring for them and learning how to give them what they need in order for them to come back online. Because most people, you know, and a lot of people, if you're hearing this and you're like, I don't think I have this. Most likely, I mean, some of you will not, and congratulations, I'm very happy for you. I, I occasionally meet people where I'm like, what? Are you somehow whole and emotionally resilient on your own? It's pretty rare, though. I would say I bet almost 98% of people do have this. Um, how crippled they are by it is a different story. But if you don't relate to what I'm saying, it might be because they're so numb, these parts go offline. And so that's why you have to be really caring and skilled on how to bring them back online because, um, you know, they're, they're effectively numbed out. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of care and intelligence that goes into that as well. So let's say that during this conversation, people are going, wow, you know, that, that really does resonate that there are some pieces of me. What's the starting point? Um, and by the way, um, I did, uh, go through your, your quiz at yourcorewound.com and it's simple to go through and, and nothing scary about it. Simple process, step by step, uh, some sliders that you move back and forth to pick your spot. But is that the starting point or would you like people to? I would say, I mean, that is the, that's the best access point. If you, if you really feel like, yes, I want to try this and I want to be involved with, I want to know what Rachel's up to. I want to have a read on what emotion to start with and I want some tips on how to start. That's a great way to get involved and um, it kind of, like I said, it shortcuts you to the action part of what I'm up to. I think if you really want to go after the depth of well-being um, and emotional resilience and healing and the sense of, you know, just self-worth that's actually possible for you, then I would say you also want to listen to my podcast at the very least, um, which is completely free, right? It's, it's, it's the best, the most um, effective, the most care. I've never put more care and love and time and energy into anything in my life. And it was, it's been such a beautiful process actually to learn what it feels like to contribute and to pour, you know, really what feels like the purpose of my life and, and what makes the, the pain that I did undergo at such a fragile age, like so valuable. Um, so, so that's really the best I have to offer. And that will help you understand, you know, there's like, you know, episode one is like, you know, why should you have your feelings? How are our baselines or standards wrong? You know, how are we, how are our Instagram feeds and our LinkedIn profiles not actually an indication of how good we feel about ourselves? 
Um, and then episodes two and three really guide you through how do you figure out which parts of you are in the basement, which is really important as far as understanding the wound that you're healing and helping you do some of the things I was just speaking about as far as making some lifestyle changes around that part. Um, and then episode four is a, you know, a, a journey in through my own story and it'll just show you um, what's possible, what you can overcome. And all of your listeners are going to get a little, you won't be as surprised by some of the pieces at the end, but you'll still, even all the people who've known me and knew that that happened to me have all said it's, it's, there's nothing like going through the journey. It's not the same as knowing that that happened, but, um, and then episodes five and six give you the real how to about how do you connect to the pain? And it's some blend of like mindfulness versus like, you know, um, as because you're a therapist, Lee, um, like, I don't know if you've done gestalt work. I'm a gestalt based therapist where there's a lot of kind of using polarity, using, you know, a lot, just a lot of skills about how to actually move your awareness into the pain. And then seven through 10, I'll break down one of the emotions, um, like anger, sadness, fear, shame. Um, and that's actually, you know, the micro wound will give you one of those episodes for free, whichever one I, I deem that you need based on the numerics of your quiz. And there's actually also a really awesome and affordable way to get all of those immediately, all of those little toolkits, um, which you'll, you'll see if you go onto yourcorewound.com. Um, and in the last two episodes, talk about being emotionally potty trained in relationship. <laughs> what do two emotionally potty trained grown ups look like um, in a couple? And then the last episode is how do you deal with some of the changes that can happen once you do do this work? Because if your life is built around who you thought you should be versus who you are, or it's built around the person that has three or four major parts of them in a basement closet, once you bring these parts back online, once you bring your sensitivity back online, you might notice that certain aspects of your life don't fit. And so I give a lot of help around how to navigate that with grace. Excellent. So it sounds like it might be actually useful to go and listen to at least a couple of the first couple of podcasts and then go do the quiz. Well, I think that people should go to the quiz right away, okay. get a flavor of me and you'll get a sense of um, what's, what's possible. And then if you feel like you really want to take the journey then yeah, you might want to then go um, once you do the quiz and start with understanding kind of the deeper terrain. The reason why the quiz and what I'm offering there is so great is that for people who are busy, for people who have really been at their healing for a long time, but know that they haven't reached the full depth. And you'll know if that's you. I mean, it's like you still have some fear that the other shoe is going to drop. You still have some sense that you know, it's hard to take in praise. It's hard to feel like you're as fabulous as your dog thinks you are, as your mom says you are. You're, you know, it's like there's just a little discrepancy between how you feel deep down in those quiet moments, those unmedicated moments, with how great your life is or how great you, you seem like you are, right? If that's you, but you're, you've been working at it for a long time, you would probably have some of the skills um, necessary to ju jump into the the actual practical try to here's how you move your feelings. Um, I think you'll get more out of it, but I just wanted people to have a, a way to work with this set of um, wisdom and practices where they don't have to put in the hours of the podcast. I mean, the podcast episodes are long and so it's beautiful to do both. And for people who have the time, absolutely welcome on board to the feelings movement. But if you don't have the time, but you want the healing, you, you can get a lot out of the, um, you know, the, what you get with the, the quiz um, and the toolkit, and then you can supplement the deeper understanding as you go. 
Excellent. So give us the, the way, what, I guess, the URL to say, what's the address to get to those pieces? Yeah, so www.yourcorewound.com is where you can find the quiz. And then once you take the quiz, it will email me and I will email you. I will put you into um, where I keep my courses and it will send you access to the um, emotion that I think you should start with. For some of you, if you get fear or shame, you're probably going to need also to know anger and sadness just because they're more complex feelings. We Generally, because anger um, explodes and, and sadness implodes, it's like those are the basic dynamics we need to have in place first. But I will still tell you whatever your, your quiz reveals. Um, and then for anyone who is ready to just dive into the content of the podcast, it is Healing Feeling SH asterisk T show. Um, we're keeping it clean here. <laughs> so uh, you can figure that out. Um, and the currently, what's neat about also the toolkit, the core wound toolkit that I offer is that right now, um, three of the four of the specific episodes around how to move your feelings are not even live yet. So um, we just dropped episode seven this week, which is on anger. Um, so it's in a process of unfolding, but there's so much rich content there. You definitely tons to get involved with. And um, my website is healing feeling sh asterisk asterisk um, and you can get you know this kind of all the information is there. And one thing, just as an invitation to your listeners, um, I really want this to be more of a dialogue than a monologue, <laughs> despite what it may seem like listening to this. Um, and um, I'd love people to, if they have questions, to record their questions or at least email me questions. My email is on my website. Um, I also would love each episode has a really funny poop story, um, you know, for comedic purposes, like everyone's had accidental poops or funny poop moments. And so each episode has a funny, just break from emotional poop into, you know, fecal poop. And, um, you're welcome. I would love you. Um, I'm practically begging for your poop stories. Also, um, the, there are four episodes where I have live therapy, or, or not live in the sense it's, it's edited, but unscripted therapy. And if you're interested in actually recording a piece of work with me for, for um, season two, there's also that opportunity. And um, lastly, I am going to be leading a group of between 10 to 15 people this summer through their own SHIT show, <laughs> kind of giving some one-on-one -on -one work and some group work. So if this is something that really calls to you, there's so many ways to get more involved. Um, and you know, one thing I just want to say, Lee, is you, you said this is heavy. And what's fascinating, and the reason I feel like I'm the right person for the job at some level, although I know so many of us healers and therapists are really helping the collective get, get whole and get happy and, and thrive. Um, but I think as heavy as it is, there's a way that I really hold all this in lightness and that's why I'm using the poop emoji that's why I'm using that metaphor is you know in some way we need to reduce the shame that that we all carry around both pooping but um feeling like poop inside and part of the way to do it is realize this is as basic as it gets it's no different than sweating at some level or you know when your body knows to heal a cut it's like we have all kinds of mechanisms of how to have homeostasis and our emotional system is one of them and so we can laugh about it. We can get really light about it. Nobody has to feel bad that part of them wonders if they're enough. Like, welcome to the club. <laughs> We're all in it. So, 
That was great stuff, Rachel. And and again, you've got the starting point. So if uh, people want to take the quiz, yourcorerune.com um, or to learn more at Healing Feeling S-H-I-S-H, let's asterisk, T-show.com. You can figure out what that's supposed to be. Uh, we're keeping it clean for uh, all the audience. So uh, again, Rachel, thank you so much for sharing. You've got a lot of information there. I hope people will go and at least take that quiz. Simple quiz, super easy to do, and learn more about maybe where um, your your core wound might just lie. So thanks again, Rachel. You're welcome. And the one other thing I want to say is that my actual website has the I in it. Just yes, so you know. that's on, correct. On, on iTunes, we got the asterisk, but um, on the website, it's an I. And thanks for having me. It was a delight um, to be on your show. And take care, everybody. Thank you. Flush it out. <laughs> listening to the thriveology podcast thank you for listening if you want more information visit us at thriveology.com or at thriveologymagazine.com remember that thriveology is spelled t-h-r-i-v-e-o-l-o-g-y it's your life time to live it 